Jesus said, I have come to bring you life and bring it in abundance. Jesus also said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him or her. What a joy for me to be with you tonight. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this ministry. My prayer as always is that you will be blessed both by the music and the word. Thank you for joining us. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's word? It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5, and I'm reading at verse 1. Moses convened all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and ordinances that I am addressing to you today, you shall learn them and observe them diligently. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Not with our ancestors did the Lord make the covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the fire. At that time, I was standing between the Lord and you to declare to you the words of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. 
the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I want to ask you a few questions about the Ten Commandments. They're called the Good Ten, the Good Commandments, the Ten Commandments. Let me ask you this. Where in the Bible are the commandments located other than Deuteronomy? If you said Exodus, you are absolutely right. What is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. What is the Greek term often used to describe the Ten Commandments? Decalogue, it means ten words. What is the commandment, the only commandment, that has a promise that goes with it? It's this one. Honor your father and your mother, and your life will be long in the land. The Israelites have fled for their very lives from a terrible ruler who tried to own their lives. We're talking about the Pharaoh of Egypt. These children of Israel were scattered all over the peninsula of Sinai. They were in great confusion. They needed some marching orders. So Moses, their leader, goes up to the top of Mount Sinai, and he comes back with some instructions. As a matter of fact, he comes back with ten instructions with a preface. Now, at this point, Moses is the lawyer between God and his people. God is establishing a covenant with his people. Moses is the lawyer, the one who is translating this to the people. Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and ordinances that I am addressing to you today. You shall learn them and observe them diligently, diligently. Though this document is called ordinances and statutes, nevertheless, it is also called covenant. God is establishing an agreement with his people. Thus, the Ten Commandments did not come from a committee. They came from an encounter with the living God. The law was a covenant. I want you to notice that. The law was a covenant. God was entering into an agreement with a certain section of his people so that all of his people would be blessed in the future. So we ought to do these things and keep these commandments. In a novel that was written by a woman, she described uh, another woman, a newspaper woman, that was ascending up a hill going to a house. This novel took place in Maine. She was going up to a house that was lived in by a retired sea captain, a fellow by the name of Elijah Tillery. On the way up there, she saw some of these stakes out in the yard. They were white stakes. They even had yellow trimming, as was his house. So when she met Captain Tillery, she said, tell me about these stakes out in the yard. What are they for? He said, well, when I first plowed the land, he said, my plow kept getting hung up on large rocks that were placed all over the yard. He said, those stakes were driven into the yard so that I would know that the rocks were there and to avoid them. That's essentially what's going on with the Ten Commandments. God has put up some things, some stakes in the ground. He says, there's danger here. He said, you need to avoid these if you're going to have a successful life. In the light of this first commandment and the preface that goes with it, I have several things I want to say to you tonight. First of all, the story, the story. We will never understand the Ten Commandments, and we will never appreciate them unless we understand the story behind them. 
When I was growing up and would misbehave, my parents would say something like this, you were not brought up this way. What they were saying was, your behavior is not dependent on certain rules. Your behavior is dependent upon our family's history, your relationships with us and with your family and your family history. And they said, we're talking about love and care and all of those things that go into our family life. And it's the same way we will understand these commandments of God. We need to understand in the context of which they were written, including the prefets. The Ten Commandments didn't just start with God saying, don't do this, don't do that. That wasn't it. They began in Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, with the preface or the history that we're told. Now, this preface is very important. This preface is simply about who God is and why these marching orders are important to him. That's what this preface is. And this preface is not long like many prefaces we've seen in this world. His preface is very short. As a matter of fact, God's preface is simply this word. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thus to a delivered but confused people, God came to them and he said to them, listen, I came to you when you were having your troubles. You were in bondage, in slavery. You couldn't do anything about your life. I didn't ask you to look at the beauties of nature or to look in some book of philosophy to try to figure out who I am. Nor did I talk about myself as a creator. I came to you as a liberator. I liberated you from all of this slavery and all of your bondage. That's the way I have come to know you and that's the way I want you to know me. So I want you to notice here, it was God who chose Israel, not Israel who chose God. God chose Israel, not Israel choosing God. Hear me now, God's coming to the Israelites. He came simply because he loved them. He didn't come for any other reason. He came because he loved them. He loved them, and we need to get that. It's the same thing with those of us who claim to be Christian. We understand Paul when he said to the Romans, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ellsworth Callis said that when he was 18 years old, he was in a quartet and he sang bass. He said they sang in many, many different locations. He said one Sunday they were singing in a place in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he said the speaker reflected on how he was twice chosen. He was a Jew who became a Christian. And he said he was twice chosen. And then he used a scripture passage from the Old Testament. And this is what that passage was. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, but because God loved you. God loved you, he chose you. He chose you because he loved you. Now, the man was 93 years of age. He said when he was 72, he was burdened down with great sin, he said. He went to this revival meeting in October on a Monday night, and he said he was so burdened down he could hardly breathe. But he said during that meeting, he simply said to God, I'm going to give you my life, and I'm going to give it to you exactly as I am, burdens and all. And he said momentarily his burden was lifted. He said he received the forgiveness of God, and his life was transformed. And he said every day since, I have thanked God for my forgiveness and for the life that he has given me. At one critical moment in his life, David Livingston said, I have felt the downreach of the divine. And then George Matheson said, O love that will not let me go. The children of Israel felt this kind of love 
the downreach of the divine, the love that would not let them go when these people were leaving Egypt, when they were being delivered from their bondage, their slavery. You know, I've preached a long time, and I've had opportunities to preach on a number of different occasions. And I've noticed that when I tell a joke, most of the time people laugh, most of the time. Or when I talk about something current, most people will pay attention. But I've also noticed that when I start talking to them about the amazing love of God as expressed in Jesus Christ, suddenly these people look like they're getting soft. Tears come to some of their eyes. You see, these people have experienced the downreach of the divine. So I want to remind you again, the Israelites did not choose God. God chose the Israelites. Before God asked us to give him something, he has already given us himself. So he gave us freedom. Now he asked for righteousness and worship. So I want to say the same thing I said a few minutes ago. We will never understand nor appreciate the Ten Commandments until we really understand the history of the story, the context behind those commandments. And then secondly, let's talk about the priority. The priority. A little boy was watching television with his father one night, and suddenly there was a commercial that came on. The commercial featured two teenage boys. They were out in a boat, and evidently the first one used the magic portion for his hair. He was sitting in the back seat of the boat with his arm around a beautiful girl, and his hair was all slicked down. The other boy, who evidently didn't use the magic portion, was sitting up there, his hair was all blown apart, he was driving the boat. And all of a sudden he turned to his dad and he said, Dad, I'll tell you one thing, you'll never catch me doing that because he said, his father said, why not? He said, because who wants to kiss a girl when you can drive? That little boy had his priorities already worked out. Now the Ten Commandments is by far the most important commandments, but of those ten, the first commandment is the really important commandment. All the other commandments are related to it. Loving your father and your mother, honoring your father and your mother, refraining from adultery, uh, valuing human life. All of these things would not be so important if we were not related them all back to God. If they were related to other particular things or gods, they wouldn't be nearly as important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. What an astonishing statement. I want you to listen to something that the late Joy Davidman, wife of C.S. Lewis, wrote. This is telling us something very significant. Everyone knew that the universe was a wild and chaotic thing, a jungle of warring powers. There were all kinds of gods, a god of spring planting, a god of the harvest, a god of war, and a god of this, that, and the other. But now along comes a fool from an insignificant tribe of the Israel wanderers and shouts that all of these processes are in reality one process from a single source that the divine, that the obvious many are the unthinkable one. We're talking about monotheism. Monotheism was at the very heart of Israel's national life. This was so different, this belief of monotheism was so different from the rest of the world in which they existed that they were cut off from the world. They were separated. These Jews understood that God was a God of uniqueness, a God who was alone, a God who celebrated life with them. Now, but we also know that yesterday's miraculous discovery can be today's humdrum reality. 
Let's think for a minute. We've heard things so often, we finally don't hear them again. All right, so here somebody says, well, let's look at this one God in the 21st century. We've heard that over and over again, so now we don't hear it. It's just so commonplace, this one God in the 21st century. So we see, well, why do we talk about it if it's something that we don't hear anymore? The reason is, is because many of us have accepted that with our lips, but not with our hearts. So many people still have a trouble between one God and many gods. If the truth were known, all of us have a struggle for the priority of our life. We struggle with whether it's going to be God or something else. All of us. When I was a pastor of a large church not too long ago, people would ask me, what is the most difficult thing you face in that church? Is it preaching? Is it counseling? Is it administrating the church? What is it? I would always say, well, in fact, it's none of those things. The most difficult, most challenging thing for me, as it is with you, is to place my life and continue to grow in my love and devotion to Jesus Christ. In other words, is to put Jesus first in my life. That's the same issue we all have, how to put Jesus first in our lives. Now, my main task as a believer is to be sure that nothing other, no God, no person, no object, nothing else, comes before God as my priority in my life. Now, you know, there are many things in our lives that like to take priority. For instance, this idea of getting ahead. It starts out with just a thought. You know, I want to get ahead. But suddenly, getting ahead clamors for every aspect of our life, all of our time, all of our energy, all of our thought, all of our allegiance. And the first thing you know, getting ahead becomes another God in our lives. And then there are countless other things that try to take over the Godship in our lives. Let's look at them. They're small gods. Technology, social media, looking after our own bodies, our exercise program, patriotism, finances, goals. All of these things can take the place of God in our lives if we allow them. Robert Shuler said that he asked Mother Teresa, if God believes in us, why don't we believe in God? Her answer was distractions. Too many distractions. So with many people, it's an issue between one God and many gods. But then with others, it's an issue between one God and no God. One God and no God. Henry Sloan Coffin said that if the first commandment were written today, it would probably be written like this. Thou shalt have at least one God. Thou shalt have at least one God. And so we struggle with that, many people. I read in this past week's Time magazine where they started something called Atheist Churches that are surviving and doing well in the Bible Belt. It described a church in Houston, Texas called the Houston Oasis. It called it a church, but it really wasn't a church. This was a place that started in 1912 for people who were atheists so they could form a community of support. Their idea was that if people keep on denying their Christian faith, and they become atheists, then they'll have a place for them to gather and a place for them to have social support. So with many people, their lives have become sterile with gods. Even the God of the gaps has been replaced by the ingenuity of humankind. Their prayers, in their prayers, they only hear the echo of their own voices. So the first thing you know, they don't believe in any gods. They don't believe in any gods at all, not many gods. They have no god. None whatsoever. You remember the name Lee Akoka, Akoka, 
You remember, he was the American businessman who led Chrysler Motors back to success from its down, downturns. Well, if you read his autobiography, you will not find a single reference that's a sign of God there in the whole autobiography. He talks about promotion, getting ahead, ambitions, and that's what we teach our children, isn't it? Those very things, get ahead, promotions, all those kind of things, ambitions, that crock of emptiness. You see, this first commandment is telling us to get our priorities straight, to get our priorities straight. And then the possession. If we don't have any gods before us, then evidently God is our possession, and we are God's possession. A man went to see his minister, and he said, listen, he said, my 10-year-old son is having trouble. He lies all the time. Even when it's easy for him to tell the truth, he still tells lies. Can you help me with him? The minister said, well, I'll do what I can. And on the way over to see the little boy, he thought, I'll just tell him the biggest lie I can think of, and he'll realize it's wrong. So when he got there and met the little boy, he said, son, coming over here today, I saw a little fifey dog about this high. He attacked a 10-foot grizzly bear. He just ferociously attacked him. He ripped him bone from bone. He ate him, and when he finished, there was nothing left but a greasy spot. And the minister looked at the little boy, and he said, Son, do you believe that? The little boy said, Yes, sir, that was my dog. I think you would have to say that that young boy was possessed by lying. Well, what does it mean to be possessed by anything? It means dominated by, or a better way of putting this is committed to, committed to. John Godsey, who's a professor at Drew University, said that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was significant for a number of reasons. First of all, he was significant because he understood the world. Second, he discerned the universality of the significance of Jesus Christ. Third, he recalled the church to discipleship. And fourthly, he put his life where his words were. Consequently, he was possessed by God, and he had a continuing wonderful influence upon everybody, and he still does. Jesus was asked, what is the first commandment? And you remember what he said? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is simply a paraphrase of the first commandment. Jesus' words there is simply a paraphrase of the first commandment. I read about an Episcopal minister. He said that he felt like God wanted him to put one of those sandwich signs on and that he could walk up and down the street. He said it took him a long time to reach the conclusion that he would do it. But finally he did. He put the sandwich on, the sandwich sign, and when he was walking up the street, on the front of it was, I am a fool for Christ. And he said people would look at him and laugh and all of that. But he said he always watched them out of the corner of the eye. So when they would look at the back of the sign, he never saw them laughing. The back of the sign said, whose fool are you? Well, that's a very significant question. Whose fool are you? Whose fool am I? God says, you shall have no other gods before me or beside me, but you shall have me. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this first commandment, a commandment that reminds us that you truly should take the first priority in all of our lives. Forgive us, O oh God, for putting you second or last rather than first. Help us, O oh God, by the power of your Spirit to move again and to put you first and to allow you to lead us. Help us to be good followers. Bless all of those who are watching and listening to this program tonight. 
touch them at the point of their need. We thank you for loving us. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for joining me for this uh, broadcast tonight, and I trust that you received a blessing from the word and the music, and I hope that you'll call other people and invite them to join us in the coming weeks. Have a good evening. Good night. I feel the spirit.